G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to Lockdown, Character Strengths and Silver Linings, your guide to applying positive psychology in seclusion. I'm joined once again by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey. Dad, good to be chatting with you on the podcast again today. Hi again, Rowan. Good to be with you. Now, we've entitled today's episode, Navigating the Noise of the News. So what are we going to be talking a little bit about today? Well, I suppose it relates to what kind of information that we take in, because how we feel, how our mood goes, our psychological state is not only going to be to do with actually what's happening around us, but what we pay attention to. So how we draw on the news or how we're influenced by the news is going to have a significant impact on our mood. It's like a kind of information diet, if you like. Well, I must admit, it's potentially a little bit of a funny time for us to be doing this podcast because in the last couple of weeks, I probably haven't ever taken in as little news as I have over the over the recent time sort of thing with all that's going on at the moment. I've almost found there's been times when I've really needed to switch off from it. And I know a number of people that I've spoken to have been the same. So is that your experience that a lot of people out there seem to be switching off from the news in general at the moment? Well, actually, in many ways, I think that's a bit of a wise move because what we know is if we're overexposed to a diet of negative news and at the moment there's going to be a lot more negative news than usual, then that tends to have a negative effect on our well-being. But look, funnily enough, for me, it's a little bit different, and um, for a couple of reasons. As a psychologist, I'm particularly interested to what kind of information and news people are exposed to. I've got a natural bent to be interested in news and looking up news in different ways, but I do want to know what kind of mainstream messages are getting across. And look, I suppose, too, I've hated particular attention also to news about government policies like a job keeper program and things like that which will directly affect our practice and how we can keep running our practice as we shift from a face-to-face to a telehealth model so I must admit I've paid a lot of specific attention to that. Well I am interested in some of your observations on the state of news at the moment and we'll get into that as we get into the podcast today but just to I suppose flag what we're going to be talking about a little bit today, we're going to be talking about the state of media at the moment and why too much news is bad and what effect it has on our mental health if we overconsume the news. We're going to be talking about ways that we can use our character strengths to help curate a more healthy news diet for ourselves. And we're going to be talking about why now is the best time ever, I reckon, to start expanding your horizons when it comes to what you're listening to. So we have a look at the state of media at the moment, Dad. As I said, I'm certainly in a situation where I've almost had to limit the amount of news that I'm taking in because it is, you know, it's 24 hours a day at the moment. There's sort of new things coming out and they're not always positive. It's not always good to listen to. So what is the effect of overexposing ourselves to too much news? Okay, well, well, if we start with the general principle too, the most basic psychological principle is that we don't react to the world so much as it is, but how we perceive the world, how we view it. Now, naturally, when there are worldwide crises happening, then we're partly going to get information that'll influence how we perceive the world from the news. That, that can be traditional media or social media or whatever. So one of the things is what we pay attention to So what kinds of news media we pay attention to or the tone of that media, how much it emphasises, I suppose, negativity or problems versus gives some kind of hope, that's going to make a difference to us, what we pay attention to, and then it's how we interpret it. But the general notion is when people are exposed to more news and particularly children, 
it can have a negative effect on mood. It can affect, for example, people experiencing more anxiety or worry. People can feel a bit more numbed after a lot of exposure to bad news. And sometimes people, including children, can show more signs of irritability or even aggression in some cases. So how much news is too much news? Well, look, to some extent, I think that's going to be a bit of an individual kind of circumstance, including with with children, it'll partly depend on their age and maturity level and things like that. But uh, look, I think for people generally, it's worth tuning into our own reactions and just notice, pay attention to how we're responding. Pay attention to what is it like if we have been exposed to a whole lot of news over a period of time? What is it like if we've deliberately maybe turned away from the news for like a number of days or at least really contained it go by what we would feel but I would have thought that many people are better off containing exposure to something like one or two key news bulletins or newspaper review or again I think it's maybe wrong to pick out an arbitrary figure like half an hour or an hour a day and be careful of something more than that but I think generally the more we tend to contain it then that tends to preserve our mood better. Well, I think that's certainly what I found for myself anyway. It's not as if you sort of get to a threshold where you kind of think, all right, now that's too much, let's turn it off. It is probably more about just observing yourself in certain situations. And, and I sort of felt, you know, I'm, I'm someone a bit like yourself. I've always had an interest in current affairs and the news and what's going on at the moment. And I guess especially with, with COVID at the moment, there's a slight element of not needing to be around the details to the same degree that you would in normal circumstances so I know for me anyway I was almost getting a little bit tied down on how bad is America at the moment what are the tangible ways in which the virus is taking hold and all this sort of stuff and and I know for me anyway there was an element at which I went all right I know it's bad and you know there's sort of (laughs) you don't have to go far to look for evidence that it's bad it's not as if you're too far from the truth or anything but I certainly found anyway that limiting that exposure And, you know, I've since tried to, I suppose, introduce it back in in certain ways. But getting to that point for me certainly meant that I was able to kind of go, all right, I need to really step back here and then be a bit more deliberate in what I do watch. Yeah, look, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I I imagine one of the themes of our podcast today is going to be the benefit of actively curating the news, as you say, actively filtering out what we pay attention to. Because we learned after 9-11 where there was the constant repeat of the visuals of that terrible scene of the World Towers coming down. And it was hour after hour, like on a loop tape or whatever, it was recognised that that was having quite a negative effect on many people's emotions and stress levels to be exposed to that. So, And I think that early on in the days of COVID when we kept on seeing oh, the massive increase in numbers each day of people being affected by it or, or, or dying from it, and then day after day after day, in a way it's a cheap way of producing media and grabbing people's attention to report on that, but it can have a negative effect if we're just exposed to that rather than also being exposed to the positive things about people's constructive response to it, ways that people are containing the uh, virus and also how many people have recovered from it. Well, one of the things that I'm interested in talking to you about today is the difference between new media and traditional media. And, And I know certainly for me, one of the things that led me to turn off the news is that 
I suppose I refer to the news in, in this sense as very much the traditional mainstream news. But there is so much online at the moment. And I know you mentioned 9-11 there. For me, the thing that really rammed at home was finding out, or I suppose seeing the uh, real, for lack of a better term, footage of the Saddam Hussein statue being toppled down in, I believe it's Fedor Square in Baghdad. So obviously the, the pictures that you get seen broadcast all out all around the world, even today, are of a huge crowd, you know, very much gives across the the idea that there's a lot of people there it gives across the idea it's a very popular thing to have happened but then you see the broader shot of how many people were actually in the square and apart from the people in the camera shot there must be gosh maybe 10 maybe 15 people at an absolute sort of conservative estimate so to me that's something that every time I see that footage now I just think but we're in the age of the internet how can you still sort of promulgate such fake news (laughs) fake sort of false information that way so just the news has almost made its bed in many ways, but we're also seeing the emergence of, of such a new form of information and, and news as well. Yeah, and I think that there are a couple of things here. One is the accuracy of news, how we can be more confident that news is accurate. And that again ties in with the general psychological principle. Our mental health and well-being is supported by having a relatively accurate view of the world but it's also supported by the notion of having a more optimistic or hopeful view of the world. Now, this is tricky because it can go against the motive of news companies and companies that produce the news that know that, for example, it's negative newspaper headlines that are going to sell more papers. That's like a truism. And part of the reason for this is that as human beings, we've got what we call a general orienting reflex And that means that we especially look out for either novel stimuli or we look out for something which represents threat or danger or we look at things that are are, are more neutral. And the idea is we can only take in so much information at any point in time. So terrifically, we have what we call an attentional filter. And what the attentional filter means is that we are making unconscious decisions of what we will pay attention to. Like, for example, if we hear a loud, a loud sound right near us, that will grab our attention because we're first oriented towards threat or danger. That helps survivability. Through evolution, we particularly notice threat or danger. So news gets a payoff by having negative uh, news or negative headlines. Next, we tend to be attracted by novelty. And danger says move away from, but we really notice it, the threat, and novelty says move toward. So that's where if we have positive news stories that can engage us, that can be really worthwhile. And when things are neutral, it says to ignore. So with news, there's a couple of things that we're looking at. One is how accurate might it be for a realistic view of the world? But secondly, how balanced is it in terms of, like we function best with an optimistic attitude, tending to look at, say, you know, two or three more times positive than negative information that we take in or comments we make to each other in our lives or whatever. We function better when we have that positive kind of angle. But unfortunately, News gets the payoff from going the opposite and giving us the negative first. Well, I remember when I was at university, we were always taught in sort of journalism that you weren't to print a story unless you had two independent sources from each other. So now, I suppose most of the stuff that I see is it's almost like reporting of reporting. So someone does an interview and then someone else writes an article about the interview that someone else has done sort of thing. And 
And I suppose, look, re- resources probably have something to do with this, probably have a lot to do with this. But at the same time, I don't think it's just that because it's a little bit chicken or egg in some ways. And I think that partly the reason that some of the mainstream news services don't have as many resources now is because they turned away from some of the established ethics that were in the industry. Yeah, look, actually, yeah, what you're saying, it reminds me of a really specific example of reporting on the reporting, which I think shows how much concern there is in also the accuracy of the news and the negativity of it. And that includes the recent times when uh, there have been some protests in the United States against lockdown. And then when President Trump tweeted things like, free Michigan, and also saying, oh, hey, and remember the Second Amendment kind of thing, what happened is that there were a number of people very visibly protesting, say in Michigan and a couple of other states, with guns. Now, the thing that concerns me is that was a very visual graphic. And so news would be drawn to that, as Trump would have known. Many people would have known. It's like a a, a news tactic. So there are all these cameras filming these people protesting and then the emphasis was being made on, say, whether it be on Fox News or whatever, that, hey, they're these states where people are really protesting against lockdown, when the actual surveys showed that twice as many people wanted the lockdown to continue as who wanted the quarantine to end. But these few hundred visible people in each state, again, dramatically with guns, so it really grabs our attention, like looking for threat and, and novelty and drama and what stands out, then those pictures are being replayed again and again and again, even on, for example, Australian ABC News or what's considered to be you know, quite conservative media or whatever. They're the pictures that are available. They grab people's attention. They're played again and again and again as though the main news is, hey, there are these states that are really objecting to quarantine, even though most of the people in those states, when surveyed, wanted it to continue. I think that's an example of a combination of inaccurate news as well as manipulating media to look to have a certain impact but it's based on negative emotions and conflict which is not good for communities. Well for me the one that comes to mind there is the use of the word petri dish a little bit closer to home particularly when schools were still open you'd hear the term petri dish being thrown around in terms of you know schools were a petri dish for the virus and if you break that down that's quite sensationalist language you think a petri dish is a sort of, it's an environment that's specifically set up to culture viruses and that sort of thing. And by drawing comparisons there, it's just, oh, A, it's not helpful, but B, it's actually sort of not true. And, and I think that, yeah, as I said, I think that certainly contributes to the state of news at the moment. But I guess one thing that I'm interested in, potentially from a sort of, I suppose, an age difference perspective as well as much as anything, but where are some of the main places where you get your news? Okay, that's where I reckon I'm a pretty standard. Well, I'd say um, conservative in approach, in more traditional approach, but uh, my politics might not be necessarily be seen as um, uh, conservative. But where I would get a lot of news is I like to get TV news from ABC. So I tend to watch the ABC news broadcast most mornings. And I really like, for example, Michael Rowland and Lisa Miller. I think they're wonderfully balanced kind of presenters. So I really like watching that. I tend to read The Age each day and uh, and I like opinion pieces in, in the age that way. I also, funnily enough, I watch Sky News sometimes at night because I like the way that it's lengthy programming, even though it would be a very different kind of politics to what I might usually relate to. I also really the 
read the Geelong Advertiser for local news, which I think it's really helpful getting news from your local community. I think that's very constructive and even more important at times like this. And also, actually, I get a bit of news from um, the Apple News app that, for example, has articles from the Atlantic or New York Times or Washington Post or different ones, as, as well as other more local news outlets. And, and I think that that app works by partly curating the information of what you tend to look up yourself. But I find sometimes that's got more uh, meaty kind of stories in it. But I, I do tend to go with traditional media, newspaper. I, I think I'm probably pretty old school that way compared to you, Rowan. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I'd, I'd say I'm certainly quite a bit different there. And and I suppose I'd almost see news these days as almost sort of two different types of news. And I suppose, well, social media has been a big part of this because I think social media inherently in itself is news in some ways. And so I suppose when I'm looking at news, there's the social news, whether it be what my friends are up to, what you know particular trends are at the moment, all this sort of stuff. But then there's the sort of broader news, which might be the current affairs of the day or might be sort of some social commentary on particular issues that are going on at the moment. But I suppose I have a bit of a mix in terms of the sources where I get it from. So for me, sort of Facebook, Twitter is a big one. Even TikTok is one that I've sort of come to recently, which, you know, it's an absolute time toilet. But you do feel like you've almost got your finger on the pulse a little bit because there's all these trends that are coming out and people are contributing in their own way and putting their own little spin on it. So there's a whole range of ways which I do get news, but I'd almost define news it seems to me a little bit more broadly than just, you know, what the established mainstream news services are putting out and what they believe to be newsworthy. Because as I say, I've just found too many situations in the past where I just haven't agreed with that. And so that's led me to more digital news services. Right. Uh, look, I'm very interested by your comment. I like your comment that TikTok is a time toilet, but uh, as, as maybe our listeners know, I like alliteration, like some of our <laughs> titles of this episode. I like that. Oh, we're going to remember that one. And I, I think I've only watched one TikTok video, so I'm way behind the times. I'm really old school again. Well, it's an interesting one for me, actually, because for me, obviously, TikTok is is a new social media. It's one that seems to be driven by, I suppose, the younger generation of adults coming through. And for me, it's, it's one of the first social medias that hasn't necessarily been as linked to current affairs. And it, in fact, even sort of parodies current affairs a little bit. I'm not sure if you've seen one of the things that they do on TikTok is uh, they might get a Scott Morrison press conference and they'll have, you know, like a 16 year old kid lip syncing over the top as if they're speaking like Scott Morrison and doing all these over-the-top gestures and all this sort of stuff. But so much of TikTok is just about mucking around in your house and almost just, you know, it's essentially what are you up to today? It's so much less about, you know, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? That's a lot more implicit with TikTok, I find. So for me, obviously, yeah, get a a lot of news from social media, but at the same time, yeah, recognising that news is almost changing a little bit now and so... I suppose even just the news on TV doesn't necessarily cover what I would consider to be newsworthy in in the modern world. I'm really interested in that idea of questioning what news means and not just assuming it is, for example, mainstream media about politics as, you know, I would tend to think of it in, in those terms first. 
But news is actually whatever is newsworthy to us. When you think about it, it's what's most important and current for us. And so sometimes I think of news in a different way. When I see some of the Michael Lunig cartoons, and I'm a real fan of Michael Lunig, and he's often got cartoons that say, turn away from some of the craziness of the world, and they've almost got an implication of don't get caught up too much in the rat race or what you hear or read or whatever. Like you look at a Michael Lunig cartoon, it's a bit like, hey, the news of the day is, what a wonderful dawn there was this morning. Hey, I saw a duck on the pond. Or like, look at, look at this tree or, or, or whatever kind of thing. So I, I think Michael Lunig has got this wonderful, innocent kind of way of saying, look at what's around us with fresh eyes and take in what's good and notice that. That's what's most newsworthy. And so that's why, to me, Michael Lunig is an alternative to going to church. I'd see myself as being spiritual rather than religious, and I'd see Michael Lunig as one of uh, my main preferred mentors that way. Well, to me, someone like Michael Lunig and the way that he expresses his opinions is a little bit more, I suppose, in the new media style of information. And for me, one of the things that I really do like about new media, and, and I think it sort of speaks a little bit to what you're talking about there, is that... In many ways, new media sort of dissolved the parameters of what news is, just as we were sort of talking about before. But, for example, podcasting. You know, podcasting was something that basically took a broadcast, like a radio broadcast, and essentially narrowed it right down to, you know, I've I've heard the term before, a niche cast, which I quite like, as as opposed to a broadcast there. But one sort of like quote that I quite like is that podcasts trade on the currency of connection. So... In, I suppose, the new media world, you can't necessarily get away with just almost this, for lack of a better term, spray and pray approach to how you're sort of getting information out there and you're just putting it out with with what's, you know, many times an undeclared agenda. Whereas new media, it's very transparent in what the agendas are and, and quite often it's very much to get to the bottom of ideas and converse in a way that's going to challenge ideas and it's, you know, it's completely impersonal, which you know, is a bit sort of removed from what we see in politics and stuff these days as well. So for me, it's it's the novelty, I suppose, in terms of going back to that novelty idea of, of having ideas that aren't so sanitised towards certain people's agendas, whether it be, you know, Rupert Murdoch or, or even sort of people on the ABC at times. I think in sort of podcasting and in the YouTube world, it's so much more of a, a free marketplace of ideas and it allows people to be able to sort of freely discuss some things that may have been constrained by the way that media was set up in previous times in the sense that you only had a small allotted amount of time to really be able to discuss something which really didn't allow you to be able to get into the nuance of situations so I think with new media we've seen a real removal from the billboard news this is what happened this is what you're supposed to believe and it invites you a lot more to consider things from your own point of view. I think that's wonderful, the individualistic perspective that can come from that. And uh, and it invites us to uh, really be actively thoughtful about what kind of media we consume. Like there, there's so many, well, millions of podcasts and, and other forms of new media that it forces us to be active and selective in what we choose. Well, well, certainly, I think that's a really good approach to it, rather than just following through what other people have sent to us or whatever, that, that can be good to read, but seeking out what we're interested in. And this strikes me of some of what is the best 
about individualism. And sometimes I think that, say, psychology over the last you know, 100 years, that's encouraged people to have so much more of an individualistic view of the world rather than a collective view, sometimes that's got a downside to it. Sometimes I think that we can be almost more self-focused as a, as a result of that and not thinking so much of the collective. And I think that it's, it's heartening that these days with things like physical distancing, it's showing that people can really still look out for everyone else and function as a community and look to work together as a kind of collective. But one of the wonderful freeing things these days is that we can choose such a variety of news or information and it can be very selective and based on all sorts of expertise or tailored interests and things like that. And I think, like you're saying, it's a much more pluralistic viewpoint, many, many more different points of view. And generally, I think that's very healthy for a culture to be able to draw on broader points of view. Well, to me, what comes to mind is the concept of oh, one of my sort of favourite philosophers is a guy called Richard Rorty. And Richard Rorty, he was, a, he was almost someone who kind of tried to kind of marry spirituality, but almost in a religious framework. And so he would talk about things like sort of truth with a capital T or reality with a capital R. But he also had this idea of the concept of solidarity. So when he spoke about solidarity, he'd talk about things in terms of humans tend to use we statements, you know. So back in the day it was we Christians don't commit murder. They're the ones over there that will commit murder. But Rorty talks about this concept of solidarity being the more you can integrate different people's viewpoints into your own, the more likely you are to therefore be able to include more people in those we statements and there's less people that you're going to be able to include in the them and so there's less people that I suppose you're going to be thinking less of in that sense because it just I guess it just promotes so much more understanding that way. And, and for me, I guess that's why even sort of looking at this period now with COVID and all that sort of thing, it's, it's as good a time as ever to start learning about what people who disagree with you think because there's so much information out there. It's not that hard to sort of find people from a particular viewpoint who are very open in where they come from and why they think what we do. So the opportunity is there to, I suppose, learn about the people around us which is a little bit ironic in the sense that we we almost have to physical distance at the moment but I think new media really does give that opportunity to us because some of those parameters have been lifted and it doesn't have to be so broad and and I suppose catered to everyone's different viewpoints. Yeah, look, what you're saying reminds me of the importance, like at a world level of crisis, of people looking to collaborate in some way and be careful not to just get divided into groups of an us and them. And and what you said, it reminds me of that famous poem by Martin Niemöller, the German clergyman, and uh, just such a powerful poem. He said, first they came for the communists. This was in the time of the Nazis. He said, first they came for the communists. And I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then he talks about the trade unionists. Then they came for the Jews and then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. And I think that's just a powerful message about not getting caught up in the us and them. And I think that's particularly poignant that message at a time when I think that there is a lot of adversarial politics. For example, I think in America at the moment there's real risks of a leader, a president, being so critical of immigrants 
emphasizing blame for the virus on China and and now you know challenging virtually attacking some of the governors who are looking to continue with quarantine i think that kind of us and them approach might again be dramatic and it can shore up certain kinds of support but i think that such divisive ways of looking at things of blaming others that us and them approach is never going to be the best approach for a society well, I completely agree, and I think that's potentially one of the things that's contributed to this whole idea of fake news, because it's almost like, you know, Donald Trump's a, a classic for this. It's that if something doesn't fit in with your and your group's, you know, narrow view of the world, then essentially it's fake. It's not news. It's not reality sort of thing. So I think that's one of the reasons that you see this term fake news be thrown around so much. Well, that whole idea of fake news, to me, I found it very disturbing that actually the whole term was pushed very much by uh, Donald Trump. And when that term comes from a president, it also really gets people to question anything that they hear. But that also means questioning criticism of things that they hear. So I think that by using the term fake news, it was maybe a brilliant setup by Trump to be able to then get across messages that he wanted to, which would have an impact on people at an emotional level, like knowing what grabs people's attention very well. I think he's a genius at that, but then not having to be so accountable. So, for example, he might refer to the coronavirus as you know, so brilliant as a germ that antibiotics can't keep up with it. Whereas, you know, being a virus, antibiotics don't apply. They relate to bacteria. Or saying at airports that there was going to be testing at airports rather than screening when he, when he meant screening. So just even getting those basic kind of terms uh, mixed up. Actually, I was really struck by something that Bob Carr said, a, a foreign minister of Australia in the Labor government for years. And, and look, oh, it was a striking statement, but I think that there's truth in it that um, with such statements by Trump that... His blatherings are a deep dive into idiocy, but it's an idiocy of genius that has made his a radically transformative presidency. Now, to me, that's a kind of warning as well from someone as prominent as Bob Carter to say that we've really got to sift and step back from information we receive, however authoritative it might seem, and maybe question it. Well, I think what comes to mind there is something that we've spoken about a little bit in the past, but the rise of Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychology professor. So he was someone who basically rose to prominence for stepping out of the mainstream in terms of his views and really speaking up for what those are. But he was also someone who really had, I suppose, the digital infrastructure there and was able to really capitalise on the digital infrastructure that meant that A, he had a whole range of platforms to be able to put out his message, but also a whole range of people who were also utilising those platforms who maybe weren't constrained by some of the parameters of traditional news were also able to sort of bring him in and talk about things and expose them to his audience that way. So it was something that really spread. And I think part of the reason for that is because it was the first time in a long time where people were really invited to think for themselves. Yes, um, a fascinating fellow, and yes, you introduced me to him, and uh, I think his book, 12 Rules for Life, a bestseller, was a, a very good description of many psychology principles. But one of the things I find fascinating about Jordan Peterson, who is such a, a prominent person at influencing people's views on different things, he actually partly came to prominence because of putting out videos of lectures on scripture And these were videos that might go for more than one hour and they would get one million views. 
It'll be talking about, say, a story from the Bible or whatever. So here you've actually got someone talking about one of the oldest and I believe the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, taking stories from it about how it might relate to everyday modern life and applying it to psychological principles and all the rest of it. In doing so, I think also uh, helping uh, remind people that in psychology or mental health and well-being, it's important to consider a spiritual dimension. This isn't like an age-old wisdom that I think he's refreshing in different ways, but to take these age-old ideas and to make them relevant in current life using Modern technology and media is just a fascinating blending of information and understanding and, uh, and technology. Well, I think one of the reasons that he rose to such prominence was because of the way that he used that technology as you're describing. So, look, one thing, just a bit of an aside here that, that I've sort of, I've, you know, it's not my sort of original idea, but I've heard it in the past and I very much agree with it. But in a hundred years or so, we're going to be sort of looking back at this time in terms of the introduction of podcasts and YouTube and, and all this new media that we've been speaking about. But essentially, we're going to look back at it as if it's got bigger implications for humanity than the printing press. And sort of the reason for that is that in many ways, it has similar implications in terms of decentralizing information. So it, it's not just the sort of establishment that kind of puts out information, but at the same time, you don't need to be able to read. So you just need an internet connection. And, and the implications that that could have, for example, in a few years when it looks like we're going to have universal Wi-Fi around the world, what that means for information to be able to get out to, whether it's kids, whether it's people from different cultures, different languages, whatever. I just think the implications that could be there in terms of allowing us to understand each other so much more, going back to that sort of solidarity idea, I just think new media is just such a perfect vehicle for that. And Jordan Peterson somewhat someone who not only recognised that, but I think that his messages were perfectly suited to it as well. So everyone just completely jumped on board. It is fascinating, as you say, you know, potentially as impactful even more so than the printing press. That's a, that, that's a pretty interesting idea. I still wonder if they'll be talking about TikTok in 100 years though, but uh, anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> yeah, well... I must admit, we've, we've waffled on a bit today, Dad. And, uh, Can't help it with been, this topic, yeah, can we? Exactly. But yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's one that, that we both have a great interest in. But look, I think it would be worth talking about the character strengths now because the character strengths can be used to help us not only frame the media that we're consuming, but also, I suppose, help us to limit the amount of media that we're watching, help choose the amount of media that we're watching. So I suppose just a, a super broad one here if there are any character strengths that you think most come to mind here, what would they be and why? Well, look, I suppose the ones related to wisdom, I think, are a little bit more so, but, but they'll all apply in some ways. Like, just say with wisdom, there's curiosity. So being open to different kinds of news sources, I think what you're saying also for people, I suppose, of, of my age or people who are more used to old school media, being open to checking out some of the other sources of information that you're describing and then using our, our judgment and our perspective to sift or weigh up what kind of things that we come across. And clearly love of learning is pretty relevant there, isn't it? Because it can help us seek out information. But I think with love of learning, combining that with maybe judgment and perspective, look to sift for quality information. It's not just about information, it's about the quality of it and how it suits us. And maybe how it suits us is also relevant to the other character strengths. One thing I heard recently was that 
apparently, you know probably a little bit more about this than I would, but apparently we take in as much information in one day as our grandparents did in their whole lifetime. So you sort of think in terms of, you know, being on the computer, you might be sort of browsing the internet. Compared to our grandparents who didn't have that facility, they might sort of read the local newspaper, but it was contained to the local area that they were living in. Whereas now, you know, we can sort of, you know, whether it be looking up how other countries are dealing with COVID or or whatever it is, we're just exposed to so much more information now. So it is important to curate a little bit more what we are seeing, I think. Um, absolutely. And as a neuropsychologist Daniel Leverton describes, each of us processes about 100,000 words a day. So it comes down to which words are part of our diet. And look, I imagine when he says words, that doesn't just have to be reading. It could probably relate to our own thoughts to an extent and what we hear, uh, what we see on videos. But it does come down to what we see. And that's where in terms of character strengths, I think that just say if people have strong humanity-based character strengths or the interpersonal strengths like love, kindness, social intelligence, or even the justice ones like teamwork, fairness and leadership, I think that means that people are likely to benefit from looking out for good news stories. And there are a number of websites that are very relevant for that. For example, there's a podcast called The Happiness Lab, which has information that relates to positive psychology. There's the Berkeley Greater Good Science Centre, They'll have lots of positive stories and no doubt a number of those will relate to the COVID era. I know that you're also aware of different sources of positive news or positive information. Yeah, well, one that I quite like is, is the forum website Reddit. So obviously Reddit, you've just got a whole range of forums on you know anything you can think of, almost quite literally. But they have one called Uplifting Stories. And basically what it is, it's just people posting good news stories. So whether it be sort of a university in America has made a breakthrough in a particular drug that's going to cure a debilitating disease, or whether it be, for example, the war veteran in England at the moment, Captain Tom Moore. He's, he's for example, someone who'd be completely appropriate to be on there. So... It's just quite nice, I think, because for me anyway, it almost scratches that itch in terms of you feel like you're kind of keeping up with things and it's not as if you're completely switching off from things. But finding those places where they go out of their way to make it just completely positive news, it can almost be a little bit of a a half break, for lack of a better term, because you're not necessarily switching off the news, you're just more switching off some of the negative stuff. So like that's one that I quite like. There's another one called The Happy Broadcast, which is just a website, which has just got little factlets, little positive factlets. And that's one, for example, if I'm just, you know, working away or whatever, and I need a little break throughout the day, that's one that's quite fun just to scroll through, see what they've kind of put up and Uh, You can catch up with what you haven't seen on there and you're just sort of in a a bit of a better frame of mind. So, look, we'll put some up on the the podcast page as well. We'll put all these websites that we're talking about up. But I think that's a really interesting concept in terms of using our character strengths, not necessarily to just watch the news, but also to sort of contextualise the news. So how could, for example, the temperance character strengths fit in with that idea of contextualising the news. You know, I'll I'll look at prudence and self-regulation and and they're ones that sort of come to mind. Yes, I think that very much relates to the notion of taking care in what information that we take in, the prudence and self-regulation one. It gets back, if you have those strengths, then, yeah, very good to draw on them to limit or contain how much news that we're exposed to. And so what about the transcendent group of character strengths? 
Well, actually, I think some of those stories that you mentioned earlier on the Happy Broadcast had this uplifting quality, which would encourage hope and uh, gratitude and spirituality. So certainly, I think seeking out those inspiring stories are the ones that are going to encourage transcendence. I suppose the other one that I noticed with transcendence is humour. And, and certainly it seems to me, I mentioned that you would find with your social media feeds too, there's a lot of humour coming through these days. You know, there's, and it, it works so wonderfully well to uh, you know, boost our mood and have a bit of fun and connection with our friends and all the rest of it. So uh, I think even much more than usual, there's a whole emphasis on humour in our posts. And so that, that's another thing that's uplifting in itself. Well, it's one thing that we've spoken about on the podcast before in that social media recently has become a little bit more positive, I think, maybe in response to some of the traditional news outlets becoming a little bit more negative. So I wonder if that's a almost mass application of, of the character strength of humour across the board. Yeah, look, I imagine so. And look, as I'm thinking about this, as we're talking about it, I suppose it gets across the point, not just thinking of what news we consume, but also what news we put out there. What are we posting just say with the humour or the news stories or whatever, what, what are we posting? Because that's going to have an impact on the people around us. We can call that a kind of social contagion effect. So not just curating the news that we receive, but thinking of what we put out there. Well, just speaking about the transcendence character strengths there, I suppose one that comes to mind for me is gratitude at the moment. And where that relates is, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, the new Michael Jordan documentary out at the moment on Netflix. But for me, obviously, you know, as we've spoken about a little bit on this podcast, sport is something that I have a huge interest in and missing it a little bit at the moment. But look, I, I really think we're about to sort of enter the golden age of sporting documentaries. So I suppose to take this Michael Jordan documentary, for example, that was footage that they sat on for 23 years because they couldn't decide how it would fit into a two-hour format. So... Netflix comes along and says, look, we can put it into a 10-part series if you'd like. We'll be able to tell the story in a, in a way that's not constrained to such a limited format. So they go on to produce you know, this great documentary series. So I sort of wonder how much archival footage is sitting out there at the moment that people are, are A, ready to get into and produce documentaries out of. But B, for me, it almost just leads me to, I suppose, enjoy the, the documentary a little bit more as I'm sort of watching along the Michael Jordan one because it does give you a sense of the possibilities that are to come. So I suppose that's one way in which that I've really found that the gratitude has sort of come in in the way that I've consumed media recently. Oh, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like that's a form of documentary or, or series that can convey things in so much greater depth. And I imagine when it does so, it'll actually emphasise the character strengths more rather than just you know, showing how wonderfully he'll throw the basketball from a great distance and it goes through the hoop. I imagine there'll be a whole lot more contextual information about his life and about the team he played with and things like that. And it'll be all the more uplifting if it highlights the character strengths of the people involved. Well, what really comes to mind there is, uh, is, I'm not sure if you've seen that The Test, the sort of Amazon Prime documentary about the Australian cricket team, but sort of follows the Australian team since Justin Langer took over. And he's, he's a really interesting figure because, you know, I imagine the character strengths that he would have right up the top of his list would sort of be love, kindness, social intelligence, honesty. He's a very passionate person and very passionate for the, for the baggy green. But one of the things that I suppose became apparent at the, particularly the first few episodes that documentary when he was in the earlier stage of his coaching career was that he was potentially overusing some of these strengths and think back to a scene where Usman Khawaja was saying to him in front of the group 
we're almost a little bit intimidated by you. Everyone's sort of walking on eggshells. And part of the reason is because you're almost so exuberant with your passion at all times. It almost gives no one else any room to be anything different. And I think that's an example of, of where sort of, I suppose, Justin Langer's character strengths were maybe being a little bit overused and throughout the documentary you sort of see him I suppose integrate other elements of his character strengths profile and and he seems to really grow from that so I think that's a real example where the character strengths come out in in that scenario all I can think of is how wonderful is it that we're talking about the Australian cricket team in terms of positive character strengths yeah, well, I guess especially with all that's going on at the moment, there's uh, there was potentially maybe an overuse of some character strengths there in terms of uh, maybe perseverance and maybe a, a lack of perspective. Yeah, uh, ma- I don't see cheating as one of the character <laughs> strengths, but, uh, but thank God for Justin Langer helping us move on from that. Yeah, for sure. Now... Look, it's been good chatting about all this sort of stuff, Dad, today, but, uh, but just before we do go, is, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Look, I suppose the main thing, getting back to that initial thing of limiting news and especially for children, and there are a number of guidelines that we have in terms of you know when children are exposed to potentially a lot of negative news, and, and first of all, yeah, monitor it, look, look to contain it. And one of the ways that helps, especially with younger children, is maybe look at some of the news broadcasts with them. And then find out what your child is taking from that. You know, find out what they gather from that or what they know. And you can pick up some misinformation. Like they might see lots of body bags, for example, and think it's in a nearby city when in fact it might be overseas. Uh, information that we give uh, and clarify, keep it brief and simple. Check in with your children's feelings. And then after having some discussion with that, hopefully with some measure of, of hope and, and, and containment, then moving on to another activity. And then the children will take their lead from the parents and realise that they are worrying times at the moment and there are concerns, but there are ways that we're looking to manage it constructively and then getting on with the positive things in our lives. Yeah, and I guess for me, that's where I'd almost sort of add to that and sort of say that that there is so many more possibilities for news out there than just what has been traditionally offered to us on whether it be TV or print or radio sort of thing. So there are opportunities, whether it be to sort of watch a TED talk or whether it be to watch a YouTube lecture or listen to someone who you haven't heard their particular point of view. So I think although we are sort of, you know, we, as we speak about, we're, we're sort of locked up inside at the moment, but Potentially, if people have got a little bit more extra time on their hands, I think it's such a great opportunity to expand some of our horizons in the content that we take in. Absolutely. So it gets back to that original point. It's what we pay attention to. That's what's going to influence our mood and our outlook on things. So, yeah, choose thoughtfully what we do pay attention to. And fortunately, today, as you're saying, there's such a wide range of information we can have access to, not just the traditional media, that um, that gives us many advantages now compared to before. Well, thanks for chatting with me today, Dad. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And as always, we've got the, uh, the podcast page up there at www.chrismackey.com.au slash podcast. And we've also got the email at podcast at chrismackey.com.au. So thank you to the couple of people who have gotten in touch. And please feel free to pass on the podcast. One thing that I've really got out of podcasts is when you do recommend a podcast to someone, you're able to talk about it with them afterwards. So hopefully out there we'll be able to stimulate some positive conversations and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks very much, Rowan. I've enjoyed it.